Excelsior. Good, Good morning. morning. Today is a day of abundant joy in the house of God. You know that's right. And not to mention, it's also June 26, 2022. You know what's been happening to us here recently? Our joy has been increasing to new heights. Is that happening for you guys? Yes. And this has been done through the continual experiences of, I don't know, Eureka moments. Speaking of, after last Sunday's message, do you guys now have a better understanding and personal application of finding joy? Particularly finding joy when you find imperfections inside of you? Oh, yeah. Hasn't it been liberating to know that you are granted the privilege to approach the altar of God on Mount Ebal to then be purified and continue in the journey of being perfected? Then let me hear something very, very encouraging from you this morning because we need your participation. Let me hear your overwhelming shouts of praise in this house right now. Hallelujah! Woo! He's feeling it. Come on. God's favor towards us is overwhelming. Can somebody say hallelujah to that? Hallelujah. His kindness not only leads us to repentance, but keeps us perpetually filled with gratefulness and eternal thankfulness for his goodness towards us. I mean, I'm talking about a very specific kind of goodness. God's goodness to LCM is seen as we are all learning how to assemble as one man in God-like unity. Somebody say amen. Amen. His kindness to LCM is on full display as we're taking steps as a matter of first importance. Somebody say first importance. First importance. To get the altar right in our lives. Adonai's overwhelming favor to us is making our daily practice turn into weekly, monthly, and a yearly practice that builds the very house of God on earth. Is anybody like me and you're just grateful? You're just grateful in this season? That what starts out at an altar is going to overflow all the way out to the ends of the earth. It's not just to the ends of the earth, but it's to our generations as they move forward. Come on now. At LCM, we are thankful because we are clearly, distinctly, in a glorious time of renewal. Somebody say renewal. 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 And we've set our resolve to be undefiled by weeping. We are not going to shed a tear because this is a time of joy. That is so good, Pastor. These soul-stirring words that are, uh, they're just bringing light to our eyes. They're bringing joy to our hearts because what we're doing is we are witnessing the sovereignty of Adonai at work in each of your lives. Things that, were be- that began years ago that are bearing fruit today, and it just makes us very, very happy. That's because you're growing, church. Yeah. Your families are flourishing Your families that are about to begin are already flourishing. And our children, they're maturing at an exponential rate. So as we prepare to dive into the word today, we wanted to make it a point to express how much joy in the Lord we have. Because joy is an essential part of what we are personally experiencing. And we're looking forward to building on it and letting it grow. We're simply in awe of how good our Lord is. And how he is watching over this flock. That's, that's what's fueled this word. Is how good our father is. Amen. And how good he's been to each one of the families at LCM. Because we are seeing the growth that's happening. So if you've not had a chance to catch Pastor Wayne. 
there's something that he likes to say. And it's a declaration that goes something about like this. We love our church. Now, if that doesn't pump you up, I'm afraid there is just no hope for you. But we're still going to try today. We're going to have hope for you. Oh, we're going to try and we're going to win this morning. That's right. Well, speaking of pumps or pumping up. Yeah. Yeah. I think today is a very good day to work out. I work out. Yeah. I got, I got to work out these, these old shoulders of mine, these you know, crickety rivets of muscles that I have. In fact, today, like in a workout routine, it's shoulder day. Come on. Yeah, it's shoulder day. So the title of today's message is Shouldering the Load. Shouldering the Load. So here's what we want you to do right here and right now. We want you to flap your little delicate deltoids over to the book of Philippians and say, shouldering the load as you turn. Shouldering the load. Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going. You know, it's great because many people did the little chicken dance thing. Adam's over here like, oh, yeah, I know what you mean. (laughs) Perfect form, brother. He's always ready. Have you arrived at Philippians 3 yet? Okay. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. So in reading this passage, we want you to see something. Paul is clearly aware of his imperfections, but he's also not crushed under the weight of his awareness of it. His resolve to press on, press on to take hold of, to apply force in the direction of the reason Jesus forcefully took hold of him. That being to become as Christ, to become perfected. That's what he was pressing on towards. Although Paul's pressing on has not yet been obtained and the goal uh, at hand, meaning the teleos of Christ, the perfection, the completion of Christ. What he is doing is that he's moving his feet forward in his journey to perfection. There is actionable demonstrable steps that he's taken to head that way, all the while continually having his faith refined along that journey to perfection. So shouldering the load is comprised of two things. Those two things are the goal of a, to obtain Christ's perfection here and the process that you must go through to continually get there here. Think about the statement that Paul makes in this passage. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Paul is an experienced follower of Christ who in formidable form, shouldering the load of where he was and where he is headed. So let's think about us here for a minute. Are you right now able to shoulder heavier loads of responsibility than you were a year ago? How about a month ago? How about a week ago? 
Well, that's evidence that you are actually pressing on to perfection while having the goal rest upon your shoulder as well. When you're rightfully and joyfully engaging with the altar of Mount Ball, you can then continue your journey towards perfection, growing ever more confident that today's heavy load becomes tomorrow's featherweight. Today's heavy load will become tomorrow's featherweight. And look, Paul is not staying in a camp there up on Mount Ball. That's not where he lives. He is headed towards the direction of Mount Gerizim. And the place to be camped at is a town that is seated between those two mountains named Shechem. Come on, somebody say Shechem in this house. Church, catch what Pastor Matt just said. I'm just going to hit it because he said it so yeah. well. The sinless one needed to be perfected and go on a journey towards perfection. The sinless one needed this journey and understand it. He was both sinless and needed to be perfected. How much more do you think that we need to be perfected and understand that this is the process and you're getting stronger every day and every week and we can feel it. There's something that's nice when you know that you're getting stronger. Yeah. When there's something that's getting really, really down in us. And we're going to talk about that today through the city of Shechem. Yeah. We're just going to, I'm going to ride this train for just a moment. Many of the brothers in this room, when they're having the worst day, encouraging your soul, think about conversations you've had with the pastors. You're having a hard time at work. You're having a hard day. All we have to do is sit down with you and say, let's look back a month. Is this really a big deal? Oh, no, he's been leading me. I'm stronger. This is, this is a, a, a minute issue compared to what I was struggling with a month ago or a year ago. It's because you are growing church and we want to highlight that, not because we want you to feel like you are just the greatest thing that's ever happened because you're not special, but the God that we serve is, and he is making us special because of sovereign hand in our life. But let's talk about Shechem. So we've been covering Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. Mount Ebal the mountain that is curses, and there's an altar there. Mount Gerizim, the mountain of blessings. Do you guys understand that? Well, pastors, you're going to have to help me because I understand there's two mountains. One is a mountain of blessing. One is a mountain of curses. And then in between is a city called Shechem. But I have to be honest, I don't know anything about Shechem. (laughs) I just know it's in between there. Can you help me out? Come on, does anybody appreciate a transparent pastor here? Needing to learn more about Shechem. I mean, Pastor Peyton. I mean, some might call him a deacon of the deltoids. A titan of the trapezius muscles. Oh, there it is. A bishop of biceps. I mean, Peyton Parson is a perfectly proportioned pectoralis major kind of guy. Whoa! That was just for you. (laughs) You never fail to impress me. Can anybody else in this room realize that you need to be a little bit more familiar with Shechem? We, yes. You've heard the term, but I we're going to dig in a little bit because God has some really, really good things that he wants us to learn about. We're going to show you this slide to help you to reacquaint yourself with the geography of Shechem. You'll remember this from last week. You see right there in the middle of your screen that this is Mount Ebal. This is the, the and it's due north of Mount Gerizim here on the screen. 
Mount Ebal is that mountain of curses where the altar of sacrifice is. We remember that from last week. Mount Gerizim, due south of Mount Ebal, is the mountain of blessings. And you remember from the, from the uh, flyover that we showed you last week and satellite imagery that Gerizim is where all the water, where all the resources, where all the life is right there on Mount Gerizim. And perfectly situated between the two is the city of Shechem. Somebody say Shechem. Shechem. Let's take a simplified version in case there's too much on that screen that it might distract oh, you from I, the point. That's there what I it is. Right there. <laughs> this is my speed right here on the screen right now. Mount Ebal, north. Mount Gerizim, south. And positioned in the valley in between the two is the city of Shechem. It is directly in between the mountain of curses and uh, the mountain of blessings. This is where Shechem is. Now, you don't see it on this, but there, you saw it last week, the mountains, and this is perfectly aligned in the valley. Now, some of the things that you may or may not know about Shechem is it was one of the cities of refuge as designated in uh, the time of the law and into Joshua's day. It is a city of refuge. Wow. It is a city that is teeming with springs, with wells. It has rich agricultural land. It has ample rainfall. It causes it to be perfect to bring your herds, to bring your flocks so that they can graze. And it also is a strategic position between two mountains, and they are able to control uh, traffic, roadway. It goes right through this spot. If people were going to go in this region, they would have to go right through Shechem, so it allowed them to control military and commercial traffic. Shechem is home to some very special events that shaped the history of the nation Israel as much as it shaped the individuals who were living there in Shechem. Some of these events are very negative moments. Some of these events are actually moments of wicked rebellion. You get Jeroboam setting up his kingship there. You get, you get different things through the history. You can go to Judges 9 and see the men of Shechem there are trying to overthrow Gideon and his family. There are wicked rebellions that start there. But we're going to focus on the positive events that took place here in Shechem. Yeah. Those events that God had designed Shechem to be and the importance of the lessons that this city was supposed to teach his people. Do you know that God does that? He shows you with the topography. He shows you in the geography. He shows you in real life very deep in spiritual things, and that's what yeah. we're going to see today. So you'll see on this next slide, there's something else about Shechem. Shechem is both a proper noun for the city, and it has a meaning here that we want you to see on the screen. Shechem is a masculine noun referring to the shoulder or the upper back. This entire area where Mount Ebal was and Mount Gerizim is and the entire region here, this shoulder area, is what the word Shechem means. You can think about it to carry government on one's shoulders. You can think about Isaiah. And the government will be upon his shoulder in Isaiah 9 to bear the burdens of rulership. A yoke that is worn. Where are you going to put a yoke? Right across your shoulders. So it has yeah. to do with the word Shechem. You'll see also that it has a sharing and a common effort. Now, as we're engaging with this, when you start to think of Shechem being a word that it means shoulders, and it's used to identify the burden of leadership. Anybody ever heard the phrase, to shoulder the weight? To get up under the weight, to shoulder it? To have broad shoulders, what does that mean? It's not about your physio physiological status as that you can get under something and carry a serious weight. It's tied to bearing a yoke. You know, my dad used to say this phrase, you got to keep your shoulder to the grindstone. Some people say keep your nose, but my dad was like, no, you got to keep your shoulder to the grindstone. You got to get up under there. It's about having a common effort. You know, like you're going to stand 
shoulder to shoulder with people and, and be able to unify and do something as a team and do it together. You might even rub shoulders with people that you really like. And if you're really compassionate, you might even give somebody a shoulder to cry on. But what are these things trying to denote? This is a place of your strength and being able to engage with what God has. See, Ebal was about an altar so that curses could be rightly dealt with by having sin atoned for. Gerizim was about the blessings that comes from a life filled with trust-grounded obedience. And Shechem, somebody say Shechem. Shechem. Shechem is about the place designed by God for real men and real women to live that is where they can encamp. It's where they inhabit. It's where they live in between these two markers that God has given. Now that we start with that kind of a basic understanding, we're going to press into Scripture. We're going to shoulder the load so that we can see great events that took place at Shechem. And these events, you're going to find out, have so much pertinence to where we are today. They are exactly speaking to our church, to you and to me, so that God can understand and get what he desires out of us. So we're going to turn to Genesis 12. Everybody start turning to Genesis 12. We're going to see the beginning of Abraham's journey. Abraham was just told by God to leave his country, his people group, and his family. I actually can't help thinking about this, and I remember one time that Baj Erjina shared a revelation that God gave him about this very passage. We pick up the story immediately after God has given Abram a sevenfold, or a heptatic blessing, and Abraham is now, right in this moment, the verse that we're picking up in, in Genesis 12, 4, Abram is beginning to respond immediately to God's voice. Yeah, are you guys in Genesis 12? Yeah. All right, we're going to pick up in verse 4. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So remember, he's in Shechem. So he built an altar there to the Lord who, who had appeared to him. So Abraham's journey was one that establishes a path that all men of faith experience. God drew Abram out of Haran. He spoke promises over him and his descendants. He led him to a special place, namely Shechem. The Lord appears to him, and then what does he do? He builds an altar. That sounds much like the same path that Israel had to take. But do you see that it may have started with Abraham? When Abraham first arrived in Shechem, he experiences what is called a theophany. And if you don't know what a theophany is, we've already prepared to define it for you. So I'm so glad that you asked. A theophany is a visible manifestation to humankind of God. A visible manifestation of who he is. And I'm sure after leaving an idol-infested hellhole like Haran... The Lord's presence, a visible manifestation, was like a cool drink of water that quenched the fires of his frustrations. I've been to Haran. Many of us have been to Haran. There's not a more frustrating place on the planet. (laughs) Going further, he extends timeless promises to his offspring. 
a promise to his offsprings when he says, I will give this land. That land was the land of Israel. Ebal, Gerizim, and Shechem are included in that inheritance. Whatever despair that Abraham was experiencing in that season, they were being subdued by Adonai leaning his shoulder into Abraham and giving him his promise. But he had to draw him to Shechem to speak it to him. And while he was standing in Shechem, he's like, where you're standing now that I'm speaking to you, I'm giving you this and so much more, the land to the north and the south. Then the first thing Abraham, Abraham did was he built an altar. When promises seem too good to be true, catch me on this, real men of faith, they don't self-deprecate and try to disqualify themselves. Yeah. No, they build an altar and they believe in faith that their inheritance is immovable. Church, say immovable. 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 So as we keep going, remember from the slides that Pastor Wade just walked us through. In between the two mountains was the city of Shechem, the city where the grandson of Abraham, Abraham would eventually journey to. So let's look at that. Everybody turn to Genesis 33 and say, shouldering the load as you turn. Shouldering the load. We're going to pick up in verse 18. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padan Aram. And he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had set up his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. So let's put some context to this. After making shalom with Esau, Jacob then journeys through Padan Aram, crosses the Jordan River to the city of Shechem, and he sets up camp there at Shechem. And based on the geographical features of the town of Shechem, this is a place where he and his family would have access to water and provisions, a place of refreshing and blessings. Wouldn't you enjoy that if you were on a long desert journey? Oh, yeah. Well, Jacob sees the value of the place that he is now camped at. There is something about Shechem that is more than just provision and protection. There's the value of a promise. It's about a promise. A piece of land that he purchases secures it for future generations and furthering the promise made to Abraham by God when the Lord said, to your offspring, I will give this land. That was spoken at the exact same town of Shechem. The purchase of this land, it was a big deal. It was a huge deal. He is not only furthering the promise, he sees the importance of this very spot as one where he can meet with God and where God will meet with his offspring. Yeah. So notice that the first thing Jacob did after purchasing the land was to erect an altar. He started with the altar first, the very same principle that we've been reviewing here. And he's naming it for the reason that God took hold of him. It was El Elohe Yisrael, God, the God of Israel. Another way to say it is God, the God of this man, the God of the generations that will follow, the God who transformed me, who changed me, who changed my name. Because the chapter before what we're reading right here is Jacob's name being changed to Israel. 
And he is the God who has set upon my shoulders the load of leading my offspring to the exact same transformation that I have experienced. It's here at Shechem, at this altar, that he is encountering God and naming it for the very reason of his own transformation. One that would carry forward. Jacob is now taking upon his shoulders the righteous first step that his grandfather took in the same city. In order for his generations to know how to renew their covenant with Yahweh God on an ongoing basis. Come on, are y'all going, are y'all walking with us in this path? Abraham, the very first place that he stops, the very first place that he rests in, in the promised land is at the city of Shechem. And it is where God meets with him. He promises. And so Abraham actually has a theophany. God meets with him there. Then his grandson, Jacob, is going, that's an important land. That's an important piece of property. You know what? I'm going to buy that property. You know why? Because he has found a field of, with a pearl of great price. And this pearl is the promise that God made to his grandfather. He went in and purchased it at great expense so that he can have it and be a part of his family heritage, his inheritance going forward. And there, he does just what he learned from his grandfather and made an altar to the God of Israel. The man, Israel, is saying he's God. He's the God of Israel, and this altar is marking that. His understanding of the Lord is expanding, and it continues to do so throughout the history of Israel. Turn with us to Joshua 24. Joshua 24. And say, shouldering the load as you're turning there. Shouldering the load. We're going to look at Joshua 24, and we're going to start in verse 23. And we're going to see how this continues on. He said... Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth. That was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Here we are again, church. We're back at Shechem. We have now gone through a time where the people of God have entered into the promised land. They have battled. They have fought. And they have won. And we are past an allotment period that has gone. And this is near the end of Joshua's life. They have conquered the land. But did you hear what verse 23 said? If you'll put that back on the screen. Can you imagine the frustration that Joshua is experiencing? This was right after the exchange with the people. You need to serve God. We'll do it. No, you can't do it. No, really, we'll do it. You really can't do it. No, I promise we can do it. And then he begins by saying this. A frustration. After victories. After being in the promised land. After achieving so much. And what is his instructions to the people? Uh, you need to put away the foreign gods that are still among you. You need to incline your heart rightly, and you've been walking in this for a generation now. We're not talking about the same. We're talking about moving forward, and they're still having to deal with some things that were with them in Egypt. They've been out for a long time now. They've conquered kings. They've conquered kingdoms, and they're still having to deal with this. Can somebody say that that's frustrating? That's frustrating. See, Joshua, this anointed leader of God's people, he is rightly shouldering the load. And even more so, he's allowing them to have the statutes and the rules put on the shoulders of the people. Did you see what he said there at Shechem? He was making a covenant with them, and he reminded them and gave them the statutes and the laws yet again. Yeah. 
At Shechem, they are renewing their covenant. Somebody say renewing. renewing. Church, you need to sh- understand what God is showing us here. We're trying to set a stage for you to see how you perfectly fit in this story. We're seeing what happens at Shechem again and again, that God is establishing, God is meeting, God is speaking to his people. And remember, when they're there, what are they looking at? They're looking at Ebal on one hand and Gerizim on the other. They are standing there deciding about curses and blessings, remembering where the altar is, remembering where the life is, and they are standing there renewing it again. In, the, in many times in their history, the ark was right there in between. They're standing by the priest, and they're seeing it again and again. God is using what is around them to help and to solidify this lesson. That's what he's doing with us here today. Church, there are many times every day that we need to uh, shoulder press our needs right back up to the Lord. We need to get really used to taking what we have and not going internal with it, but immediately pressing it up to the heavens to allow God to deal with it. Can I tell you about my own week this week? Yes. My own week this week has been filled with frustrations. On Monday morning, my family's like, whoa, what is going on with you? They're all like, we're, we, need to, we, we feel like we keep frustrating you about everything that we say and do. I was frustrated. It wasn't just Monday. It was all week long. I was frustrated about my family. I was frustrated about our progress. I was frustrated about my leadership. If I'm going to put it in terms of Joshua 24 right here, I was frustrated that I found more idols and the inclination of my heart that was not right before the Lord. I was frustrated because every time I had those little feelings, you know what it made me feel? It made me feel like I was restarting. I was back at the beginning. That I had, re, I, now here I am again. I thought I've already addressed this. I'm so frustrated because I thought I was done with this. I didn't even know that's been a problem. Here I am and it feels like I've been starting again. Anybody with me? Aye. That when you find something else, we're saying, man, we're going to have joy. We're going to find things. And Eureka, we found it. And then inside my own heart, I'm so frustrated. With my mouth, I'm going, Eureka. And inside, I'm going, what are you frustrated at? I don't even know in this moment. But I do know because it feels like I'm having to restart again. All this work, all this effort all this labor, all this time, and I'm having to deal with this? How about we get a revelation? Y'all ready for a revelation? Are y'all feeling me today? I'm not trying to be eloquent before you at all. That's not my goal. I'm trying to be transparent before you so that you can see in your heart what God is trying to do in you because this is what he's been doing in me. Here's the revelation, my friends. In Genesis... Jacob wasn't restarting the covenant. He was renewing the covenant. Yeah. Here in Joshua, Joshua isn't restarting a covenant between Israel and and their God. He's renewing the covenant again here in their presence. How does this relate to you? You are not restarting every time you see one of these things. You are having an opportunity to renew your covenant with the Lord. When you find frustration, you need to understand that you are frustrated that you're feeling like you're restarting. I'm telling you today by the Spirit of God, and I feel His presence with us right now. You're not restarting, church. You're getting to renew your covenant. Again and again. 
There's something special about an intimacy with us and our God that we get to renew this again. See, when you're learning to live, when you're learning to to shoulder the load that is yours rightly to bear, with the blessings and the curses in the backdrop, you actually see it. It's, It's not just in the backdrop. It's in the foreground of where you're living. You are not restarting. You are renewing the covenant in this moment. You're not going to live on Ebal. You're not even going to live on Gerizim. You are living in Shechem. You have to deal with both sides of this repeatedly and ongoing, but it is our chance to renew the covenant. Somebody say, renew the covenant. Renew the covenant. So you're not restarting. You are renewing. Think about David in the ways that he failed But he never asked the Lord for a mulligan. Listen to what he prayed in Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Feel that? Mm. Not restart. Let's, Let's do it again from the beginning. But renew the steadfast spirit that you've already given me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. It says renew a steadfast spirit. Yeah. Renew the covenant so that I can shoulder the load by helping to rebuild this altar in my heart again and again and again, however many times it takes. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, not build from the ground up the joy of salvation. You've given it to me in the past, and I'm asking that you help me restore what you've already given me. Grant me a willing spirit to go back to the altar time and time again. This is Shechem all over again. Restore to me. Renew my joy about the fact that there is an altar on Ebal that I desperately need. Grant me a willing spirit as I am receiving the blessings of Gerizim so I don't become lazy and fail to finish. Church, we don't live on Ebal or Gerizim. We live in Shechem. I know on my most difficult days living in Shechem, I let myself get caught up in the daily pressures of life. Whether that's marriage, children, ministry, work, you name it. I can get caught up. And begin to despair over the reality that one, I made a list for you here. That one, I cannot make things happen in my own strength. I know that's true, but it's still the reality of it causes me to despair. And two on my list, what I am cultivating is going to take a lifetime to perfect and bring to fullness. Those realities are true. But on my worst days in Shechem, they cause me to despair. The despair, though, it narrows my focus of the promises the Lord has given me. And then my carnal ambitions, they pull me away from intimacy with my brothers and those that I stand shoulder to shoulder with that are there to actually help me defeat that despair. The despair actually causes me to get further away from the solution as opposed to cry out. For a renewal. But the glory of all this and what God is doing in his sovereignty is he's bringing it to the surface so that I can grow from it. And I am joyfully coming to the altar and asking the Lord for help, not to restart. Hey, can I go back to just early discipleship? 
That's not how it works. I have to ask him, Lord, we've had an altar for so long. Can we renew it one more time? Can, we res- can you restore to me the joy that you've already given me that I know is there and I've experienced Amen. and I'm not unfamiliar with it. But God, I need you to help me by restoring it back to me because I've gotten a little wayward in my despair. But now I see it and I'm putting it underfoot. And then what do I do? I get shoulder to shoulder with my brothers Amen. and we push forward into the things God called us to. That's because today... Now, in this moment, I live in Shechem. I live in an ongoing cycle of blessings and curses, and they all rest on my shoulders. It is the joy of his salvation and the empowerment from him to have a willing spirit that will sustain me to shoulder this load. I've been ordained by Adonai to live in Shechem. And church, you have been ordained by Adonai, and he has made it in his good will that you live in Shechem. Saints, is the transparency of these pastors giving you a, a real reference point of how to shoulder the load? How to have both blessings and curses on your shoulders? Let's get some further insight and begin to put some things together. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 24. I want to go to verse 32. Say shouldering the load as you turn. Shouldering, shouldering the, the load. load. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. So let's assemble some pieces here to make sure we're all connecting the dots. Shechem is the place where the Lord appeared to Abraham and made a promise about the land his offspring would inherit. Did you get that? Shechem is the place Jacob purchased and established an altar to the God who transforms him. Did you get that? Shechem is the place Joshua leads the nation of Israel in their renewal of their covenant. And now it is the place that becomes an eternal, immovable inheritance. So we have in play... At this moment, in this passage, Joseph's bones. So think about the journey of Joseph's bones, right? We start in Egypt. Then there is the deliverance out of Egypt. Those bones cross the Red Sea. They then journey through the desert. They cross the Jordan. They traverse the conquered lands of Canaan. And now, at this point, they have come to rest at Shechem. Uniquely Shechem. So... Let's understand exactly what God is at work in this. This is a spot where Joseph will rise to receive a resurrected body. That's what God ordained from the very beginning. So, his tomb, there in Shechem, it is then an ever-present sign, an ever-present marker of an immovable inheritance so that all of Israel who is faithful to the Lord and faithful to shoulder the Lord, the load of God's commands could see this sign. They could see this marker and begin to get hope, begin to have a renewal, begin to see this immovable inheritance that is there before them. And if Joseph can inherit it, so can I. So his bones, Joseph's bones in the soil of Shechem, 
were a constant reminder that the nation of Israel was not disqualified in the long journey to Shechem. I'm not disqualified. How many times did Joseph have to endure trials that in every way would say that he is disqualified? Many times. Thrown into a pit, put into prison, falsely accused, disqualified, disqualified, disqualified. But is that where he ended? No. Well, his bones speak that same testimony. The nation of Israel was being qualified through the traversing in trials in order to receive what has been promised. The generation of, uh, generations of Israel had to literally carry on their shoulders the remnants of death so that they wow. could then plant them in the hope of life. That hope of the resurrection, that hope of an immovable inheritance. So overall, in God's perspective, Shechem was always the targeted destination of dust for Joseph's bones. It was where he chose, and that was God's perspective, but that's not always our perspective. My brothers have been transparent with you, so it's my joy to take my turn. Come on. Thinking about these bones, these symbols of death, and what God has been revealing these imperfections in the soil of my own heart. I'm seeing that when these areas of death are revealed in me, in my family, everything that I'm, I'm responsible for, maybe this is just me, but I begin to tailspin. Tailspin into a sinful perspective that says, God can't use me anymore. It's not just you. All hope is, all hope of future, all hope of promise of what I can and will achieve is now disqualified because here are the imperfections, here are the evidence of death that is now on the surface and in my full view. There's a mourning actually over what God desires to resurrect. That's why it's being brought to the surface in the first place. It's not for a matter of disqualification. It's for a matter of resurrection and transformation. So you want to know what's turning my morning into dancing? Giving me the oil of joy that's conquering my defeat? It's the voice of my father telling me something. You know what I'm talking about. It's that moment whenever you're down, you're mopey, you're groping around, and just, well, forward me. I'm disqualified. That's exactly what I did, yeah. It's when that voice of the Father steps in, leans down, and he says, quit grieving over these dead bones. Pick them up, put them on your shoulders, and once you go press in to Shechem, once you go to that place where I want you to bury them, it's a hope of resurrection. It is teeming with life. I'm taking your disqualification, and I'm using it to make you qualified. Yeah. I'm refining you the whole time. Don't hang down your head low. Stand up and press on. Press on to the place where I will resurrect these dead bones of disqualification, and it will be a sign of an immovable inheritance to everyone who passes by and sees them. A sign that I will complete my work in you, your family, and the generations from this house. Can I tell you how much that has actually resurrected my soul the past two weeks? I can hold my head up high and see that imperfections, and better yet said, areas of death that are now to the surface, God is actually going to use to do something beautiful. 
And it's because I have not given up. It's when we get up and begin to press on to where God wants us to dwell, which is in Shechem. We begin to find that resurrection power to overcome anything that's death. Come on, somebody say, I am not disqualified. I am not disqualified. You are not disqualified because you're living in Shechem. You're living in the shadow of blessings and curses. You are living right there, and you are learning rightly to do with it. You are not disqualified. You cannot be in despair. You should not be in frustration because God is with you, and he's walking you through yeah. a process to perfection. Yeah. If the sinless one had to get to perfection through suffering and difficulty and this path, so do you. This should change our perspective about every moment of our day. Now, church, now that we've given you a deeper understanding of this location, of some of the events that took place at Shechem in the Older Testament, let's move on into the Newer Testament. Let's make our journey there to the New Testament to illustrate that Adonai and his sovereignty will speak a continuous message from the same location now to a new generation of people. Let's turn to John chapter 4. As you're turning to John 4, somebody say, shouldering the load. Shouldering the load. John 4 and verse 1. One of the things that I love about this church is you guys, you love the word. You're growing in the word Every day, every week. Would you do something with me? You know that John 4 is about a Samaritan woman. You already know that before we turn there. This is that kind of church that we can call out a chapter and you already know. True? Even Lincoln got it. And Lincoln was like, yes, I know that. Hey, let's walk through this together in light of the understanding of Shechem. Don't get too far ahead of us. Don't try to preach the sermon that you think should be preached. We got the right one for you today. We're pastors. We're your fathers in this house. We got the right one. So just go with us. Don't get too far ahead of us. Let's just actually see what the text says. John 4, 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So he left from the southern part of the country and is going up towards the northern part. And he had to pass through Samaria because the topography and the geography of the land forced him right through this path. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. Now, Sychar. Everybody say Sychar. Listen to the explanation of where this place is near. Near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Y'all remember that? We remember that? It was purchased in Genesis 33. We see it moving out throughout. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, weird as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, before you go on and think about the rest of the story, I want us to focus on these few verses. There's actually some debate amongst scholars of whether the town of Sychar is Shechem or it's just so closely positioned that it's right next to Shechem. You may not know this about our actual facility, but technically, this building, as it goes back, is both in Fort Bend County and Harris County. So to, to put it clearly, right now, we are standing in Harris County, and about middle row back, that's Fort Bend County. So we could say that we're in Fort Bend and be truthful. 
we could say that we're in Harris, and if we're standing in a different part of the, the building or the complex, that's also truthful. What we can find out by Sychar, by the positioning of what else is there, is you know exactly where this is. Oh, you may not know the spot on a GPS, but you know what must be in the background, what must be close to them. The next phrase is the part that excites me so much, and it eliminates any doubt that we are talking about the area of Shechem. It says, near the field that Jacob had given to his son. You know the one that he bought from Hamor, the father of Shechem. You know that exact land right there that we've been talking about, that Joseph's bones are buried at? That's the place that we're talking about. So what do you know is around you? You know that Ebal. You know that Gerizim are right there. You know that you're in a fertile place. You know so much about this because you now understand about Shechem. This was the very place that Jacob purchased. It was the very place that Joseph was buried. Remember that immovable inheritance that was gained there? See, and we see a woman coming to Jacob's well to draw water. This very site of Jacob's well and of Joseph's burial place, by the way, Joseph's burial place is 750 feet from this well. See, we see things on a map and we, we imagine them as being so far apart. At the closest point of these mountains, at the base of the mountains, they're only 500 yards apart. We're dealing with things of walking around your neighborhood is a smaller area than what we're talking about now. These things are right next to each other. As a matter of fact, in a Lexham Bible dictionary, it says that this, this well is considered the most authentic of all of the holy places in the promised land. The location of the well is without dispute. That's amazing. See, Jacob did not view Shechem as a temporary dwelling. He didn't think of it as just passing through that no soul would ever inhabit. Jacob purchased a field of great price as a testimony of what God had spoken to him, of the transformation and the hope and an immovable inheritance. See, these men that we're talking about, they knew what it was like to be in Shechem. And we see Jesus wearied from a journey. Because he's heading from the southern part of the country to the northern part of the country on foot. And he has to go through this path because that's the only logical place to go. And we know that it was a supernatural design moment. Jesus was wearied, but he was also joyful and ready to shoulder the life-giving conversation with this Samaritan woman. We're we're used to focusing on the words of Jesus in John 4, and we should. They're beautiful things. Jesus directs this precious woman to living water. He later on speaks to her about real, true worship that is of spirit and truth that our Father is seeking. But for us today to learn about where we fit in this story, we're going to focus on the words of the Samaritan woman, which you may not have done, at least not recently. We're going to see how they relate to us. We have a slide to help you with this. These are just the phrases that the woman speaks. Okay? In John 4 and verse 9... She says, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Can you hear the frustration in what she's saying? You're asking me to do something for you? Why are we even having this conversation? That sounded like me this week in my own home. Verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? You want me to draw water? You don't have anything. You're talking to me about water, but you don't have a bucket. You don't have a rope. How are you going to do this? Somebody say frustration. Frustration. Because she's being asked something by the Messiah. 
She's being led on a journey, and she is frustrated because she doesn't understand why she's being asked what she's asked. At least that doesn't happen to any of us in here. Yes, God is telling me this, but I'm frustrated because I don't understand what's going on. Look at verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. The Nazbi says it this way. You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? See, what happened in verse 9 is you see that she is distancing herself from Jesus. She says, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Why are you even talking to me? By verse 12, she says what? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? She's starting to have an understanding of what he's saying. The light bulb is coming on. The moment is changing inside of her heart. And she's going, wait a minute. I think he's talking about more than just natural water. He's saying living water. And it's beginning to set into her. And she's, I think that she's envisioning it this way and saying, what if what you're saying is true? Come on, church. Now, when, when you realize that the promises that you've been replicating that you've been saying once it starts to settle in and go, wait, 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 what if this promise is true? What if what God is saying is true right now about me and my life? If that is true, then I'm starting to realize that I've been wrong. And I'm not just wrong today. I've been wrong for a long time. If what you're saying to me, Lord, is more important than the way that I feel, then I've been wrong for a long time. I think, oh my gosh, this realization that begins to set in that we are not where we thought we were causes despair. And that is what is happening here with this woman. Wow. Then verse 17, the woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. Before you already presume that you think you know all about this woman, can you imagine how disqualified she must feel in this moment. Yeah. It has been our custom through 2,000 years of preaching to make this woman someone who's been indecent. What if she wasn't indecent with these men? What if she just had someone as a husband and the husband died again and again? And she is now sitting there going, I don't want to marry another one because maybe it's my fault. Maybe I'm cursed. Maybe I'm the one that's wrong and I'm broken. And maybe I'll, it'll end your life too. She's sitting in between the mountain of Ebal and the mountain of Gerizim. Feeling disqualified because of things that have happened in her life. For you today, in the last week or two, if you've been walking in frustration because you're not getting what God is saying, you're trying, but there's a level of frustration in you that must change, I'm going to ask you to stand right now. If you have been walking in a despair, as things are settling into you that you're like, man, I thought I was farther along and I'm seeing this in a different way. 
<laughs> I'm just, I've got despair down in my soul. I'm going to ask that you stand with us now. If you have felt disqualified, either by your own doing or by just the effect of life on you, I'm going to ask that you stand. We're going to pray here in just a minute. Shechem is for you. God is going to deal with us rightly because of what we're learning in Shechem. Yeah. Church, I want you to look at this slide. At Shechem, we defeat our frustrations by constantly renewing our covenant. At Shechem, we demolish despair as we stand shoulder to shoulder and joyful triumph. At Shechem, we destroy disqualification by pressing on to our immovable inheritance. When you live at Shechem, building the altar and renewing the covenant with your God is not something that has to wait till the end of a service. Something that has to wait till tomorrow or the end of the week or the next time you meet with the pastor or the next time you meet with your home group. It can happen now because it is where you live. I want you to lift your hands with me, church, as we ask the Lord to supernaturally empower us to overcome these things as we shoulder the load. And when we pray... We are praying in joyful triumph, but also in sincerity that we are not restarting. We're asking, Lord, one more time, mighty God. Holy one, we cry out to you today. Lord, we submit to you our frustrations, our despair. Lord, the things that we, we believe disqualify us. Lord, and we ask that you would strengthen us. Lord, I ask that you would strengthen this body, Lord, to shoulder the load, to lean into each other, to lean into you, Lord, as you fill us with your spirit, Lord, and you renew what we once knew so long ago, that you renew that covenant and that intimate relationship that we have. Lord, we hate what sin makes us, but more than that, we love who you are. We love how you rescue us time and time again, Lord, and you do not leave us as unperfected, but put us through seasons that perfect us. Lord, we are in awe of you. Lord, we are in awe of your goodness. Lord, we stand with moments of silence where we reflect on how good you are. Lord, but we feel the overwhelming joy that bubbles up. Lord, that comes from the depth of our being when we know that you chose us even when we were so far away. Lord, you chose us even though we were not qualified. But Lord, you qualify us. Lord, and we praise your holy name. Lord, we thank you that in any moment, in the middle of a sermon, in the middle of studying your word, in the middle of a day, Lord, we can, we can pause and we can look to you. We can say one more time, Lord, can we renew this altar? Can we renew this covenant? Lord, can we, can we move forward in this? And will you help me? Help me overcome these things that I know are wrong. 
Lord, I want to be enthralled by you in every moment, in the face of my imperfections, in the face of the things that I know I don't get right. Lord, I don't want to be mastered by them. I want to be mastered and in full submission to you. Lord, that you might move me, make me, mold me, and shape me. Lord, and use me for your glory. Lord, use us for your glory. Begin to pray that right now. Begin to pray, Lord, help me. Supernaturally, help me. Help me renew my covenant with you. Help me defeat these frustrations because of my, my closeness and bonding and unity with you. Begin to ask, Lord, help me shoulder and joyful triumph that demolishes this despair right here and right now. Lord, help me. Help me press on to this immovable inheritance and destroy this disqualification that wants to put me in the ground and bury me. But instead, I know that you're going to resurrect me. Saints, right now, begin to cry out to help for God. Begin to ask for his presence and his spirit to fill you with that supernatural power. Right here and right now is your mounted ball. Right here and right now is the altar that with joy we're going to bring these things to him. With joy we're going to proceed forth and press on. Go begin to lift up your voice. Begin to lift up your cry to the heavens. Now I want you to turn your hearts towards joy. I want you to turn your hearts towards praise. Begin to let come out of your mouths. Though you feel it or not, do it in faith right now in the name of Jesus. Come on, let it fill his house. Let it fill his house. It is such a privilege for us to begin to renew our covenant with God. Right here, standing, unified as a body. I couldn't be more proud of this church. I couldn't be more proud of the souls that take the gospel serious and don't care a damn about their own lives or reputation. They just want the truth of the kingdom at work inside of them. Come on, lastly, let's give a big shout of hallelujah. We're going to sit down. Hallelujah! Amen. Take your seat. We're going to continue. We're going to continue in a victorious and triumphant manner. That has been the attitude from the very beginning. And that's where we're going to keep going. I want to read to you something. Something that is a gem. It's precious. Zephaniah 3.9 in the ESV says, For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech. Amen. You know what God is really after? He's after our transformation. Yeah. And that's being transformed from what was impure into what is pure, which is him. Transformation is the goal. Pure speech is his speech. Pure speech is a demonstration of his character and his perfection at work inside of us. Do you want and need God to give you his pure speech? Oh, yeah. Because that's what we're going to carry on after this service. We're going to have a joyful and triumphant heart and attitude with transparency, bearing witness to what God is doing with us right here and right now. The verse continues. That all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. Well, 
There's something very special about this word, one accord. Some of you may have translations that have a variety of other ways of saying it. But the literal Hebrew words in order are Shechem Ehad. One accord is Shechem Ehad. A plural unity of shoulders bonded together. You want to know what you just did when you stood up and transparently went to the altar of God, asking for his help, and then rejoicing? Is that you stood up in Shechem Ichad. You enabled yourself to be in unity with everyone around, else around you so that we can all stand shoulder to shoulder in yeah. Shechem. God has been helping us and aiming us at even greater levels of unity because he has greater levels of work for us to accomplish. And it's only by standing in Shechem Ichad that we can accomplish it. Turn with us to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to look at verse 28. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. It says this. Come to me, all you who are weary, burdened, frustrated, in despair, feeling yeah. disqualified. Everyone. And I will give you rest. Come on now, isn't that what you're feeling in this moment? Can't you feel it in this room that God has granted this to you? He says, take my yoke upon your shoulders. Don't cast off the yoke. Don't cast off restraint. Let it rest there right on your shoulders and you're going to learn from him. You learn from him today and you're going to continue to do so. Why? Because he is gentle and humble in heart. The yoke that is upon your shoulders, living in Shechem, is a gift from God to you. It is an opportunity that he has given you. You're going to even find rest for your souls. Those thoughts, those emotions, those desires, yeah, you can even find rest there too. For my yoke, it's easy. My burden from my yoke, it's light. The solution is to have his yoke upon our shoulders and never to cast it off. See, the altar on Mount Ebal, that's easy. That's light. It's actually a joy for us to carry that kind of yoke. You know why? Because it is not a wearisome task. It's not a wearisome task for those who are living in Shechem who understand that that is one of the shoulders that are getting addressed here. The blessings of Mount Gerizim. You know what that is? That's easy. That's light. It's a joy to carry that as well. It is not a burdensome responsibility. These things are not burdensome for those who've understand, understood that they live in Shechem. This is where they're supposed to be positioned, right between the shoulders, right between Ebal and, and uh, Gerizim, so that we can live. And we find that when we do this rightly, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Amen. It's perfectly fit. You actually have the yoke and can still find rest because it is that well fit to each of us here in this place. Church, I want you to listen to Isaiah 12. We're going to just start in verse 1. It says, In that day you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. 
Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw waters from the wells of salvation. Church, we want to remind you, he is your comfort in your frustrations. He will make you fearless in the face of your despair. And he has deemed you worthy. And he is the one who qualifies you because he is your salvation. Church, you will have joy and draw from the wells of salvation as we shoulder the load together. Shechem Ehad. And this process never stops and it only gets better. Come on. Is your joy and confidence on the rise this morning? Let's all turn to our last scripture. 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to pick up in verse 19, and do this for me, shout, shouldering the load. load. There we go. This is how we know that we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. We thought this is a right place for us to land with our scriptures because there's a very specific phrase that God has been speaking the past couple of services. And the phrase in the scripture is how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. In fact, there was a prophecy during worship last Thursday night, and it goes something like this. Because we have set our hearts in new directions, because we have a very great and precious promise, we can lift up our eyes. Every place we set our foot, he is giving us a good and spacious land. Another way to say that is that he is giving us the ability to live in Shechem. Let us lift up our faces before him. Our Father wants to shine upon us. This is God the Father giving us the strength and encouragement of what we need to overcome all three areas, and if not more, that could be an addition that we've listed so far. He wants to help us win and grow and become mature followers. And that is... Because like Peyton was saying earlier and Pastor Wade, we see that you guys are serious students of the word because you are trying to put it into action. And as we do this all together, we're all going to take one step closer towards perfection every single day. Stand with us today. So this morning, already, we have stood collectively We've asked the Lord to help us. We've asked him to help us to defeat our frustrations, to demolish our despair, and to destroy our disqualification. Church, that was your altar call. That was your moment at Mount Ball. The blessings of Gerasim have come to us many times, and they were going to keep being effective in our life. Now is the time to live in Shechem to joyfully shoulder the load 
by continually renewing our covenant with him. By standing shoulder to shoulder in Shechem Echad. By planting our lives in the exact place that God has assigned us. This is the sign of the immovable inheritance that is ours. Now's the time to act, church. Now's the time to cause your soul to come alive, to rejoice, saying, I will praise you, Lord. Come on, let's worship with our whole heart. <laughs>